Hey everybody, you are listening to Grace Bond Ministries. Grace Bond Ministries is about sharing the Word of God, having conversations about difficult topics, talking about apologetics, coming together, tackling issues, answering questions, studying the scripture, uh, doing devotionals. Listen, Grace Bond Ministries has so many different things that we're going to talk about, that we have talked about, we're going to continue talking about. Uh, and this podcast is made for someone who wants to know more about the Christian faith or wants answers to their questions or just wants to ask questions or just wants a safe place to talk about things, even things like politics, you know, abortion, uh, homosexuality, hell, you know, or just how do I have strong faith? That's what you're going to get when you listen to Grace Bond Ministries. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you are blessed and encouraged by what we do here. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 Welcome to Grace Bond Ministries. come and share with us as, a, as he shares with us the uh, message that he's been proclaiming to the youth over the last few weeks. And so we're thankful for his leadership that he provides all of the youth leaders that uh, he is making a difference in our youth. Amen. Amen. And uh, we're thankful that he can come and share with us this morning. So I'm going I'm to pray for him real quickly and he's going to come and he's going to share what God has laid upon his heart. All right. Father God, we again, we come to you thanking you for what you're doing in our life of our church. Father, we thank you that you are continuing to move, and we ask, Father, that today, that, Father, that you would use this willing vessel. Father, we ask, that Father, that you would hide Pastor Jonathan behind the cross. That, Father, that you would give him the words that we stand in need of, and, Father, that it wouldn't fall upon deaf ears or deaf hearts. That, Father, that it would penetrate our hearts, and, Father, that we wouldn't just have a, a, a knowledge about Jesus, but we would have the knowledge of Jesus. And that today our lives would be changed. Father, we know that there's those in the, in the congregation that, Father, that just simply need a word from you today. And we pray, Father, that you would use Jonathan today to bring that word, that it would hit the hearts just right, that, Father, they would challenge, that, Father, they would convict, and it would correct, and that, Father, that we would see a mighty outpouring of obedience today. Father, we love you today. We thank you for the opportunity to be at this place at this time. Might you be glorified once again, Father, through what's said and done. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, okay. <laughs> test, test. Am I, am I on? Can you hear me? If you can hear me clap once, no. Don't, don't, oh, never mind. I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, we're going to, how many of y'all ever participated in Bible drill before? Anybody know what that is? Okay, good. Well, you're about to get some practice in today uh, because this is a, uh, a, a more of a topical sermon. And so uh, it's going to be like Bible drill in here. I'm going to call out a verse. And if you're going to try to flip there, you're going to have to go quick, okay? Because uh, there's a lot of stuff. I'm actually going to try to summarize everything I've talked about in three sermons. So uh, we'll see how that goes, okay? Uh, but our first one, if we're going to talk about love, we've got to talk about what is love, okay? Uh, and unfortunately, 
unfortunately, we had to cut one of the song, uh, a clip from a song. The kids know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, see? They loved hearing, uh, I don't know if you ever heard the song, What's Love Got to Do With It? Um, <laughs> but I, I, I made them listen to a clip from that chorus every week. Um, and uh, they, they were just, some of them weren't as excited as I expected them to be. Um, so anyways, we're going to begin there. So if you go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. That's where we're going to start, okay? Uh, so we got something special happening here. Something special has been happening uh, the entire month. And uh, it's pretty cool. There's something special happening across our entire nation and world right now as well. But uh, there is something special that's happening. And uh, I think we're going to see. So today, we're actually, so I concluded this series with the youth on Wednesday night. And so today is what, uh, what I've been trying to uh, push all them towards is, hey, on, on this day, and really Wednesday, I had them all fill out this commitment card. And it was a commitment that we're going to talk about uh, at the very end, okay? So actually, they're actually going to come up and they're going to give a, uh, some more of like a public commitment of something that they've already actually committed to on a, basically on a, on a commitment card, okay? And on that commitment card, there was actually, I, I, I counted them this morning, uh, and I think there was roughly 16 or 17 of the youth that signed the commitment card uh, to basically uh, live, to, to be committed to a life of purity and holiness including sexual, sexual abstinence until marriage. All right, so we're actually going to close the service today with that true love wait ceremony. Um, but first, like I said, we're going to go through and I'm going to kind of summarize and uh, uh, talk about everything we've talked about uh, just a lot quicker <laughs> than what I talked about it with them. So uh, one of the things though, that I was thinking about this and is, uh, you know, this idea that true love waits and, and the idea comes from basically uh, saving yourself for a committed marriage relationship, all right? And we're going to talk about more what that means here in just a second. But that really applies to everybody because I can tell you one of three things. Either you're married, you're single, for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, you're married, you're single, or you're dating, all right? And I think no matter which area you find yourself in, in this, in this point in your life, this applies to you. You need to be able to honor God whether you're single, whether you're dating, or whether you're married, okay? So this kind of applies to all of us, and this commitment we're going to talk about, this commitment applies to all of us in this room. Um, of course, my, my calling here at the church is to preach to youth, and so, uh, of course, I, I, I focus this to youth for the past month, but today, um, I want to speak to everyone, because we all need to make sure we are committed to purity and holiness, even in the areas of sexual things, okay? So, <clears throat> let's get started with uh, true love waits, seeking true love, all right? So we're going to look at uh, the first passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, all right? So in order, in order to honor God with true committed love, we've got to know what love is. And so there is actually a passage in the Bible where uh, love is defined clearer. It's, it's defined so clear that whether I've heard non-Christian people use this same, uh, this same passage in weddings and stuff that they don't even, they don't even believe in God. <laughs> and they're using this definition of love because the definition is absolutely perfect. And I think a lot of times today people have just misunderstood and they've twisted love. And a lot of it has to do, I think, with Hollywood and movies and, uh, and, and some other things we're actually going to get into here in just a second. But I think it's been misunderstood and twisted 
so much, at least recently, but you look at the Bible times, it was twisted back when Jesus was around. It was twisted back when the disciples were still alive. Love has been twisted for a long time. But God's Word makes it clear what true love actually is. And then to make it even better, God, God comes, he, he comes to this earth and shows us what true love is. All right, so what is true love? What is true love? So let's look at this passage, this definition. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Is not boastful. Is not arrogant. Is not rude. Is not self-seeking. Is not irritable. And does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So that's the truest and most pure definition of love. And so with the youth, we actually went through, uh, we went through that entire thing. We talked about what each word meant and all this different stuff. But I just want to pinpoint one specific part of that, all right? So I, I encourage you to go back, study it, look at this. Make sure you know this and make sure you understand what true love is, okay? Make sure you understand what true love is. But I just want to, I want to, I got to mention this one verse because it's going to, um, it's going to be, it's going to be important when we get to the next part of this message when we talk, start talking about sexual sins. But one of, the, one of the parts of that definition is found right there in verse 6. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. So when somebody says, uh, when somebody says well, it's not loving to talk about sin. Well, it's not loving to, to call somebody out on their sin. That's not what the definition of love says. The definition of love says that true love found, finds no joy in unrighteousness, finds, finds no joy in sin, but rejoices in in the truth. All right. So, uh, so when we're talking about what we're going to talk about here in just a minute, when we talk about this, you know, how can I, <laughs> a, a flawed, sinful human being, talk about sexual sins and talk about the things I'm about to talk about? Well, it's because of love. It's because true love does not find joy in unrighteousness. Okay. So, uh, and true love. True love is deeper, I think, than what a lot of people are making it out to be. And I think there's a difference, there's a difference in, uh, that comes with a true committed marriage relationship, uh, and there's a difference that comes from um, love within that marriage relationship and with all of our relationships, and it's intimacy. It's intimacy and commitment, okay? Those are the two key terms that you're going to hear me say over and over again, is intimacy and commitment. So there's an organization, it's called Focus on the Family, and they do a lot of ministry to help uh, encourage, strengthen, and just pour into families and different parts of the family. So children, fathers, mothers, grandparents, or whatever. All right, so that's kind of what they talk about, but they gave this, under, this uh, uh, explanation of intimacy. It says, according to dictionary.com, intimate is defined as showing a close union or combination of particles or elements, an intimate mixture. So this is what they say about it. Being intimate involves the mixing of our life with another's, a mingling of souls, a sharing of hearts. This is something we all long for because it's how God made us. We were designed to connect. And so in our lives, this was kind of funny when I was preaching to the youth, when I would mention the word intimacy, they, they immediately equated it with sexual things, right? They immediately equated it with sexual things. But I don't think that's what intimacy means. There's, there, intimacy is that closeness, it's the bond that intensifies, I think, in a marriage relationship. But 
Let's talk about that. Let's talk about important relationships we have in this life. So, um, <coughs> so there's, there's different relationships that you have, all right? And I've already embarrassed Gage once, so I'm going to embarrass him again, all right? So let's say, for instance, right, sometimes we have secrets or we have something going on, and, uh, you know, we're not just going to go around and tell everybody. So, for instance, if Gage peed the bed, right, uh, I can go ahead and guarantee you that Gage probably isn't just going to come stand up here Sunday morning and say, I have one announcement I want to add. Uh, I peed the bed last night, you know. There's different relationships we have. There's different levels of intimacy we have. Um, uh, I don't, I, I just, just keep it to yourself, Gage, okay? Um, but, you know, there, and, and there's different relationships that we have that have different levels of intimacy where we share deeper parts of ourselves with another person, all right? So, uh, and, 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 of course, the most important, the most intimate relationship that we should have all across the board is explained by Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36. It says, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So love God, love others. Those are the two foundational commands. The most intimate relationship we should have should be our relationship with God. Amen. If, we, if we build that relationship, that relationship goes out to the world from us. <laughs> because it says that, you know, how do, we, how do we even know what love is? It's because Christ died for us. We love because he first loved us. And so we got we to gotta build that relationship, that intimacy with God to understand intimacy in other areas of our lives, including marriage. So put God first. Put God first when you're single. <laughs> Honestly, uh, um, married men, we might get in trouble for this, but... Uh, Honestly, once you get married, uh, your, your, your level of free time, just, it, just, it just goes straight down, okay? Um, <clears throat> and then jobs and stuff too, but uh, okay, I won't put all the blame on the women, but, um, <clears throat> but your level of freedom just goes down. There is a lot of free time, a lot of, a lot of things that you have the ability to do as a single person. A lot of ways that you can honor God as a single person that is different, I wouldn't necessarily say better, it's just different than if you're dating or even if you're married, all right? So don't think, oh, you know, I remember I had a friend in college, he's actually a youth pastor now, and he came up to me one day and he said, Jonathan, I just, I don't think I'm ever going to find a woman, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> and he's, a, he's a pastor, and I was like, dude, I said, honor God while you're single, you know? And I believe that's what he was doing, and, and then, uh, uh, man, he just, he just, he met this girl, like, it was like two months later, he'd been praying to meet a girl, and now they're married and just had their first kid. But honor God in your single life. There's actually people, great men of God in the Bible, <clears throat> that remain single their entire lives. Imagine, imagine how much, how, how <laughs> all right, maybe I should just stop there. Um, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just study Paul, I'll just leave it at that, okay? Paul had, uh, Paul had a lot of freedom to do some of the things he was doing, okay? Um, <laughs> So put God first in your single life, in your dating life, and in your married life, all right? Um, so let's talk about this, though. Marriage is one of the greatest gifts from God and should be the goal of dating. I told the youth on one, one, one Wednesday night, I said, uh, uh, I said, you know, there's an entire book of the Bible that is dedicated to the topic of dating. 
I said, and it's the book of Hezekiah, right? And most of them, not all of them, <laughs> most of them knew there is no such thing as the book of Hezekiah. There's a guy named Hezekiah in the Bible, right? But there is no such thing as a book of Hezekiah because the Bible doesn't really talk about dating. From the, from the foundation of the world, the Bible talks about a unified relationship between a man and a woman through marriage. Because listen to this. This is Genesis chapter 2 in the Garden of Eden. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is the important verse, the last verse, verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. So from the very start, the understanding of any kind of relationship, uh, any kind of dating relationship, marriage relationship, this is, this is what was intended. This is what was intended, that if you're going, if you're seeking after a spouse, it is meant to be a unified, committed marriage relationship from the very, very start. All right. So now we kind of, okay, we got this kind of understanding of this is what true love is. This is how it's defined in the word of God. Uh, and that true love is founded by, first of all, what we learn and see through Jesus Christ. And it's founded by our relationship, our intimate relationship with God. And that true love should be shown through a, a, a biblical marriage relationship, all right? And there's other relationships that we need to show true love to people. The Bible says to show love to one another, right? Show love to one another. But let's talk about, let's talk about, let's focus this in a little bit more. True love waits sex. When I, when I got to week two of true love waits, which is when we talked about this topic, uh, I made a post and, and uh, one of my friends at work, she said, uh, Jonathan, I'm sorry. I said, what are you sorry for? And she said, I'm sorry, you have to go talk about sex with teenagers. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> I said, let me give you one word. So eventually I'm going to have to do it with adults of all ages uh, in front of the whole church. And uh, so here we are, all right? So we're going to talk about this and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll see how it goes, okay? Uh, but I'll, t I'll tell you this. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to preach on anything the Bible talks about, okay? I'm willing to preach on anything, willing to talk about anything that the Bible talks about and discusses and has principles for. Uh, but the Bible definitely talks about sex. It talks about intimacy. It talks about marriage. And I think today, I think today for a lot of people and for a lot of, uh, especially those in the non-Christian world, but even in the Christian world, in the Christian realm, uh, I think sex has become almost meaningless, almost like it's just another animal action, right? Because if you're an atheist, then we are animals. You know, if we are just animals, then really that's all it is. There is no meaning behind it. But I think that idea, I think that idea has, has uh, crept into our society, right? And I think that idea is wrong. <laughs> I think according to the scripture, there's so much more to it than just some kind of physical act. And I think true, true committed intimacy is getting more rare and more rare by the minute. 60, you know, it used to be, I remember when I was growing up, they used to say 50% of marriages ended in divorce. Well, a new statistic I found, it's already been bumped up to 60% of marriages end in divorce. And, and I've also heard someone say that, you know, a lot of it has to do with how many people move down to Florida. But I've heard that there's actually, 
and uh, you have to fact check me on this because I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about the statistic, but I've heard that there is actually more people getting divorced in the state of Florida than there is people getting married in the state of Florida. So I think true committed intimacy is rare and, and that sex has just been absolutely twisted and that God is not honored by us twisting and misunderstanding, misrepresenting sex in our lives. Listen to this verse. This is Hebrews 13, 4. Since marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Hebrews 13, 4. The marriage bed should be kept undefiled. I found this definition, and I'll mention this podcast, but let me go ahead and tell you. This podcast is meant for married people, okay? Do not listen to it if you're not married. But in this podcast called Intimate Covenant, they give a definition of sex, and then I actually compared their definition to other, other secular websites like Planned Parenthood and stuff like that and see how it compared with, this, with the non-Christian world. And it's actually pretty similar, but this is the definition. Any activity that is intended to bring sexual arousal or pleasure for you or your partner. It was kind of interesting to me that that was kind of the common definition, but what's lacking is the ethical and moral concerns that come with that idea. It's the ethical and moral concerns that come with that idea. That's what's lacking. That's what's lacking. And, and if y'all know anything about Planned Parenthood, they've got all kinds of stuff out of whack on that website and what they're doing. <laughs> but it's the ethical concerns. What God intended for these things that's what's been twisted. So let's break that apart. There's two, two important parts there. One is any activity, any activity, because a lot of people say, think that sex is just intercourse. No, no, no. It, any activity can be considered sexual activity. And then the other part is it's something that brings sexual arousal or pleasure to you or your partner. And there's a whole thing. There's a whole list of things that could be added here. And I'm not going to go through all of them. But I think the bottom line, the principle for that, is anything that undermines the intimacy that is intended for a committed marriage relationship, if there's anything that undermines that, it is sin, it is wrong, it is unrighteous. And it's interesting, you know, we go back to talking about intimacy, sexual intimacy. Uh, when, when, uh, when, when, we, when there is sexual intimacy, there is a chemical in the body uh, multiple chemicals, but there is a chemical in the body called oxytocin. Oxytocin is released in the body during intimacy. Uh, and this is kind of the understanding of that. Uh, this is from uh, the Business Insider. That this chemical it brings about a, a positive social functioning and is associated with bonding, trust, and loyalty. And so there's other things that come with oxytocin. There's emotional things and stuff like that. But oxytocin is released in the body during intimacy in the brain. So let's talk about this. This is the, this is the one thing I, uh, I wish I could just have somebody else come up here and talk about it. <laughs> but what is sexual immorality? All right, so when we, when we talked about this, uh, if you want to turn there, you can. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 18. But when we talked about this, we talked about verses 12 through 20. And there's a lot of interesting things there. You know, you talk about um, you know, uh, coming together, a husband and wife coming together and becoming one flesh. Well, he says, uh, and, and if you know anything about the Corinthian church, uh, I heard a pastor one time, he did a series on the Corinthian church, and he called it the church in chaos. The Corinthian church had a ton of sin. 
that, that Paul was writing these letters about. He was trying to deal with it. And uh, uh, we think a lot of it, they, they heeded a lot of what he said, I, I think. But uh, <clears throat> they, had, they had a lot of sexual sins that were happening within the church. And so he talks about it in this passage. But I just want to focus on one verse, 1 Corinthians 6.18. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you, have, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. And I'm sure many of us have probably heard different ways that people have twisted this, taken it out of context or whatever. But if you look at the context, he's talking about sexual sins. Our bodies were not meant for sexual sins. <laughs> they were created uh, they were created to honor God. And so one of the things, though, he says at the very beginning of that verse, he says to flee sexual immorality. That's the that's Greek word, uh, 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 fuego. Fuego means to take flight. I probably mispronounced it for any Greek speakers out there. But it, it means to take flight. I mean, it's to get up, run, flee, run from it, fly away from it, do whatever it needs to do, you need to do, because it is a very difficult sin to deal with. So you need to take flight. You need to run away from it. And here's something even more interesting is that the Greek word for sexual immorality is porneia, which sounds like another word that we know, which is pornography. And so the root of porneia actually is how we get the word pornography. Um, <clears throat> so what does this include? So what, what, what is included within sexual immorality? All right, listen. So when I go through this, when I go through this, like I said, I think Sex, I think intimacy, I think marriage, I think there's, there's a lot of stuff that's been twisted by our world. But I think God has made it clear in his word what is sin, what is not sin. And we need to respect and honor and bring glory to God for what he calls us to. So what does this include? All right, before I get into that, though, I need to add one more verse in here to talk about. Matthew five twenty eight. This is important because he, he tells them, he says, But I tell everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, taking that, taking what we just read, I mean, what, what are sexually immoral acts that we see today? The first is pornography. I think pornography and watching pornography, just the entire industry, is just filled and is just sexual sin in and of itself. But listen to these statistics. I'll just talk about teenagers for just a second. 43% of teens watch pornography. And then a lot of people will say, you know, you know when, do we, when do we start talking about this with our kids? Uh, you know, and I, I've heard the suggestion that you start, uh, you know, maybe with some of the basics young, because, because if you want to know the number one thing, the number one place people are getting their information from, it's Google. Kids are looking to Google for their information. Adults are even looking to Google for their information, not the Word of God, not a trusted pastor, not a parent. They're searching it up on Google. So parents, it is your job. <laughs> to speak to your kids about these issues. Because listen to this, most boys will watch porn by the time they are 12 years old. 12. <laughs> That's like 6th grade, maybe even 5th graders. And I guarantee you, I heard another statistic that there's a pretty high number of people that will, of kids that will maybe not, uh, uh, that will at least see or experience or something with porn even before that. 
So that's going to be important to talk about when we get to some of the principles here in just a second. But listen, and then here's another startling statistic, is that there is 2.6 to 3.9 billion dollars a year is made in the porn industry every single year. Here's another sin. And this one, man, this one's growing. It's getting so much more difficult to deal with this as Christians, is homosexuality. Homosexuality is extremely difficult uh, to deal with now. Is, I, don't, I don't think the truth, I don't think is difficult. I think what's difficult is that it's so accepted by culture, we're running so countercultural. the Bible runs so countercultural today, that it gets so much more difficult to address it and to address it in love. But listen, let me give you some statistics on this. So here, here's one that makes it clear, because a lot of people will say the argument is, is that people are born homosexual. Uh, it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. There is, a, there is a, a study. 500 million people were studying. They looked for a gay gene. They could not find it because people are not born that way. And I tell you what does cause it. There's, there's, it's, it's the twisting. It's, it's, it's uh, sexual sins. When people are sexually abused, when, when kids are raped, when there is a, uh, just uh, the, the cultural push, you know, I read a statistic one time, you know, and of course we, we can all see it. It's being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed lately, you know, and then there's the cancel culture issue and all that stuff. But I saw it within, I think it was within five or ten years, and early 2000s to, to maybe like 2010, something in there. The statistic, the, the number of people that were LGBTQ jumped from 2.5% to almost 6%. <laughs> And you're going to tell me there's not a correlation between the society accepting it. Uh, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> it just seems pretty clear. And then, and then in Romans chapter 1, God says that, that, that uh, or Paul writes, and God, tell, you know, God inspired it. He says that, that women and men were, giving over, were given over to unnatural desires with people of the same sex. It calls it unnatural. It calls it sin. And it, calls, and it says that they hardened their hearts so much that God just gave, it, gave them over to what they really wanted, which was sin. And here's another one. It's fornication. Fornication is pretty much sex outside of marriage. That's what True Love Waits is about. Hey, commit to be remaining sexually abstinent until you're in a committed marriage relationship. And I know people, I know people that, are, that, that have lived you know, their entire lives and never got married. You know? And like I talked about, though, you've got to honor God even in your singleness. That's what Paul did. Paul was single. He honored God in his singleness all the way to the end to where Paul stood before Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I'm sure, told him, well done, my good and faithful servant. And the last one, uh, and there's others too, but the last one I'm going to talk about is adultery. Adultery is pretty much cheating. Remember the verse. If you, if you lust after someone who is not your wife, is not your husband, you've committed adultery with him or her in your heart. So cheating and lusting and this world is just running rampant with this sin. But here's one thing I don't want to stop with, because I don't want to just stop and just talk about the sin. I want to talk about when sex is a good thing. I start off the message talking about there is a time and place where sex is a good thing. Let's look at it. There's an entire book about this. So uh, when sex is a good thing. So there's only, uh, uh, there, there is, like I said, there's an entire book, Song of Solomon, where it talks about this intimate relationship between a husband and a wife, all right? And it's their conversation they had. It talks about how they're bonded together, how they're committed to one another. But this is God-given 
intimacy between a husband and wife. So let's look at the, uh, let's just look at one of the passages. Song of Solomon chapter 7, verse 4. Your neck is like a tower of ivory, your eyes like pools in Heshbon by Bath Rabbim's gate. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, the hair of your head like purple cloth. A king could be held captive in your tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasant, my love, with such delights. Your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes and the fragrance of your breath like apricots. Your mouth is like fine wine. (laughs) I would encourage you, especially if you're married, look at the book of Song of Solomon and see what true godly commitment and intimacy is like. It's God-ordained intimacy. So, in conclusion with, with this topic of sex, sex is only good or righteous. Um, I think righteous may be a better word there. Sex is only good or righteous within a committed married, uh, marriage relationship between a Christian man and woman. So that's the only time sex is a good thing. That's the only time God says, this was what I intended it for. And you notice, one of the interesting conversations I had with a couple of uh, the youth was that it's meant to be between a Christian man and a woman. So when you're thinking about getting married, you're trying to look for your spouse, the Bible says do not be unequally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked. So anything outside of this, I think the Bible considers it a sin. And listen, I know, I know there's also stories of people who have gotten married and, and then got saved later, and then, and, you know, then their spouse isn't a Christian. Listen, um, there's, there's a lot of conversations that need to be had, okay? Uh, they're not conversations that we can have right here in front of the whole thing, all right? So find somebody that knows the Word of God, that loves God and loves you, that can help walk you through how to deal with the situations that you're in, and not just that thing, but other things as well. So honor God and enjoy the blessings that come with a committed marriage relationship. All right, and this is the uh, last point I want to close with, is true love waits past, present, and future. So what do we do with this information? What do we do with knowing what sexual sins are? What do we do with with, uh, knowing when sex is a good thing? I think it's simple. Commit to a life of purity and holiness. This is, this is a, a verse that we, this is our theme verse throughout the entire month. It's 1 Peter 1.16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know, a lot of times, you know, I, I think it could be misunderstood to say, hey, we need to just be just as good and as great as God is. No, no, no. The word holy means to be set apart, and he's actually quoting from the Old Testament here. And God is set apart. God is different. God is set apart from any of the false gods, any of the false idols, any of the other false religions, God is set apart, and we are called to be set apart in our Christian walks. So God is set apart. We should be set apart. We don't serve some little, little G God. <laughs> you know, we serve Yahweh, Amen. the one and only true God. So I just want to real quick, quickly give you three things for practical advice, whether you're single, dating, or married. There's three things of practical advice I want to give you. The first one is putting God First, listen to this verse, Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. So always put God first, whether you're single, whether you're dating, or whether you're married. And whatever the topic may be, you know, we got a specific topic this morning, but whatever this, the issue is, whatever the thing is in your life, put God first. 
The second thing is having clear boundaries. You know, I told the youth, listen, you get in these situations, you say no, you yell no, you shout no, do whatever you need to do, and make sure you set up boundaries, not, not in the moment, but you set up boundaries before. And so parents, you know, help your kids set up boundaries before they get put in one of those situations. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is Mark 14, 38, when Jesus was, Jesus was just about to be arrested. And he's out there praying. Y'all know the story. His disciples are falling asleep, and he's telling them, what are you doing? Wake up. Pray. This is what he says. Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So setting up those boundaries, all that stuff's good, but I think this is absolutely impossible without the Spirit of God empowering you. Can't do it without the Holy Spirit, because Jesus just said it, our flesh is weak. (laughs) Our flesh is weak. And here's the third thing, is having accountability. Proverbs 27, 17, it says, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. We need one another in the Christian walk. If you try to do the Christian walk alone, if you try to do the Christian walk alone, you'll get devoured. <laughs> That's what a lot of animals do in the wilderness. You know, they wait for, they wait for an animal to get alone somewhere, and then the, and then the animal gets killed. <laughs> you, we are not meant to do this alone. We need one another. So find a brother or sister in the Lord and ask them to help you hold accountable to a life of purity and holiness in God. And, not ju- and again, not just in this area, but in other areas. So let's talk about this. This is important, and this is, this is why I love Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's because we can seek forgiveness through repentance and confession. Listen to this verse. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. Listen, there's a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. You know, y'all know I work at a funeral home. I see it all the time. People, people mourn somebody when they have no hope versus people who believe in Jesus Christ. They know their loved one believed in Jesus Christ, and they mourn like those with hope. But one of the differences between a Christian and a non-Christian is because if a non-Christian screws up, if a non-Christian sins and has worldly grief and not godly grief, the end of that verse, it says worldly grief produces death. That's why I think Judas... Judas was not looking to God. He wasn't looking to Jesus when he realized, I screwed up. (laughs) Instead, he turned to worldly grief, and worldly grief produces death. But godly grief (laughs) produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. The Bible says when God forgives somebody, he separates that sin as far as the east is from the west. So thank God for his forgiveness. (laughs) Thank God for his forgiveness. And that's why I can go through all that stuff. And I can, I mean, honestly, if I didn't think God was going to forgive, I mean, what would even be the point? But God says through repentance, through confession, that God wants to forgive sin. So here's the final question I have for everybody. Is are you committed? Are you committed? These are a couple of important verses uh, let me read Psalm 119.1 first. It says, How happy are those whose way is blameless, who, lo- who walk according to the Lord's instruction. If this is how God created us to be, when we walk within the Lord's will, when we walk within the Lord's will, that's when we're going to be the happiest, that's when we're going to be the most joyous, is when we're walking in the will of God. And another thing, when you're talking about 
dealing with your sin, you're like, is this wrong? Is this wrong? What, what should I do? Pray this, this, this Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. That's the prayer we need to be praying constantly, to be able to seek after God, seek after God's will in our lives. So there's a lot of things to pray for this morning. I don't know how God has spoken to you, and hopefully you come to church every Sunday with the expectation that God is going to speak directly to you. But maybe there is some sins in your life that you're dealing with that you need to confess and repent of during the altar call this morning. Maybe there's some decisions you need to be made. One of the things that happens when somebody gets saved is they repent. Repentance means to turn away from and turn towards God. So maybe God's convicting of your sins and you need to repent. Maybe you've never even put your faith in Jesus Christ and you need the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus. Maybe that's something you need to do during the altar call this morning. Or maybe there's somebody that is just heavy on your heart. You know, hey, I need to pray for this person and you pray for their spiritual growth, and you pray for their spiritual strength. So why even talk about this stuff at all? Let me, show you, let me just read a couple more startling statistics to you. 75%, 75% of Americans have sex before age 20, and that was from 2006. From 2007 to 2017, support of homosexual marriages went from 37% to 62%. And again, 60% of marriages end in divorce. So honestly, you know, I'm, I, I just, I've, I've been doing youth ministry now for close to three years, and I've talked to a lot of kids, uh, uh, <coughs> a lot of kids, especially in Lakeland. I mean, we had probably 120, 150 kids come through those doors since when I was there. And I've talked to other adults and just talked to them about their lives and how they grew up and how this happened and that happened. And to be honest, I'm sick of hearing about the sexual sins that are destroying lives and destroying marriages in our world. I'm sick about hearing of failed marriages that could have been healed, that could have been stopped if both people were committed to God and committed to intimacy. I'm sick of hearing about divorce. There's a verse in the Bible that says God hates divorce. I had a lady tell me one time, she said, when I got divorced, she said, it was tougher to get divorced than it was to lose both of my parents to death. Divorce is difficult. And I know many of you in here know that divorce is difficult. And I think that maybe setting up some firmer foundations, a lot of people get you know, get married on a whim. A lot of people, I've talked to some people, though, that they get married and then their spouse does something absolutely radical. There was nothing they could do about it. But I would say a lot of people that I know they, they, that have gotten divorced have gotten, have gotten divorced because they didn't have strong foundations before they got married. So talking about these things helps build those stronger foundations. And I'm sick of hearing about children growing up in broken homes I'm sick of hearing about abortion and unplanned pregnancies. I knew a 16-year-old that was able to go to a court, and, and the judge allowed a 16-year-old girl to get an abortion without even telling her parents. And that was here in the state of Florida. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I'm sick of seeing this rise in acceptance of homosexuality and seeing so many Christians back away from talking about and dealing with the sins that are out there. And the worst thing, the, the summary of all of that is I'm, I'm just sick of seeing, and I'm sure most of you are too, the complete disregard for biblical concepts on marriage. But here's the thing about being a Christian, is that I think God can change people's lives. I think that God can change a culture. I think that God, I've heard many preachers say that, that the culture that, that is being raised up right now, this is going to be that revival generation. <laughs> I've been hearing that for years. God changes things. God can change you. And even better than that is God wants to change you. He wants to see you happy. He wants to see you joyous. He wants to see you forgiven. He wants to see you close to him. So what is God calling you to do today during this altar call? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to just study your word together as Christians, Lord. We thank you for your word. And God, even though, God, even though you know how, how big of sinners we actually are, Lord, you still, you love us, you forgive us, you care for us. And God, I pray that nobody leaves here today without accepting your forgiveness, forgiveness and love. And God, I pray today that during this altar call that the person whose heart you're working on, Lord, I pray you give them the courage to come forward, pray, and honor you from here on with their lives. God, I pray for every individual in this room. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for watching the Grace Bond Ministries podcast or listening to the podcast. Uh, I know there's various ways that you could be listening to this right now or watching this right now, uh, but I just want to say thank you so much. And if you would, uh, wherever you're listening, if you're listening on YouTube, you know, subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, podcast, please you know, leave a five-star review and uh, write a little thing in there. If you're on Facebook, you know, leave a comment. Uh, let me know how this impacted you or uh, even any other questions or comments or concerns you may have. Um, and also, if you have an idea or you have something you'd really want to talk more uh, deeply about, you can always email me at gracebondministries at gmail.com. But thank you so much. Remember, for it is by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God. Thank you for listening to Grace Bond Ministries. Thank you.